Take your Bible, if you would, please. Make your way to the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter has been our text for many weeks. 2 Peter will be our text for one more week. I will finish today, Lord willing, the seventh of a list of seven things that we have been adding to our faith and looking for as believers. But I will need next week, and so fitting is it that it will be Palm Sunday, to finish the passage all the way through verse number 10. I would just encourage you so much to make sure that you're in that service so that you can find, hear the finality of a series that we have been in entitled The Cycle of Spiritual Growth. And this has been our focus and our concentration for the last few weeks as we as believers, as children of the living God, have had to stop a moment and take an honest assessment. You can turn my monitor down just a little bit. It's a little hot up here. An honest assessment of our lives. We've had to look at ourselves in the mirror of God's word. We've had to look at ourselves in the mirror of our reality We've had to honestly ask ourselves, am I spiritually growing? I do believe that every believer has a desire to spiritually grow. I would say that probably many of us would, at least at the beginning, want to say yes, that we have been involved in spiritual growth. But I have been asking you to be honest with yourself. Never would I ask you to be honest with God because God knows everything. God doesn't need you to be honest or dishonest. He knows the truth. Amen. When you're honest or dishonest, you're honest or dishonest with yourself. Never in the Bible do you read, please don't deceive God. But often in the Bible you read, do not deceive yourself. So I'm asking you. It's the pastor, but I'm also listening to the pastor as Tom. And I've been asking myself, am I really spiritually growing? On a scale of one to 10, where am I? Am I honestly on a path that is trending upward in growth? Or have I stagnated? God forbid, have I fallen back a little bit? Where are you, Christian, in your spiritual growth? I don't care if you've been saved for five days or 50 years. Every believer, as long as you have breath in your life, is to be spiritually growing. I would say that the church of Jesus Christ should have an honest assessment today of our spiritual growth. Many of God's people desire to spiritually grow. They just don't necessarily always know how to do it or where to begin the Apostle Peter acknowledged the importance of spiritual growth in both of his epistles. And in the second epistle, in chapter number one, he gave us a wonderful starting place for spiritual growth in our lives. He listed under the inspiration of the Spirit of God seven things that we were to add to our faith. We put them together and called them the cycle of spiritual growth. I want you to see and pick up, if you would, in verse number five. So just by way of introduction a moment, Peter said, and beside this, 
giving all diligence, add to your faith. Peter is directly speaking to you, Christian. I don't care if you're 10 years old, 12 years old, 14 years old, or if you're 114 years old. If you know the Lord, Peter is telling you that you are to be diligent in Christ to add to your faith. This would be your responsibility. This is not something God is going to do for you. This is something that God enables you to do. This is something that you can only do because God is in you. This is something that only comes because of the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. All of that has been given to us as believers. And then God looks at you, sir, ma'am, son, daughter, and says to you, now add it to your faith. I'm not going to do it for you. He'll give you opportunity to do it. Adding to your faith is, must be understood. He is not teaching here that you add these things so you can receive faith. He's teaching that you add these things because you've already believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, the definition of this faith is found in verse number one. Please look at it. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us. Now watch how it's obtained through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have obtained that like precious faith through the Lord Jesus Christ, would you say amen? All right. So he's clearly speaking to those of us that have been saved. We have been acknowledged to add, and we have. Look, if you would, at verse number five. We have added virtue, which is moral excellence. We have added knowledge, which is spiritual truth. We have added to knowledge temperance, which is a self-control or a spirit control. To temperance, we have added patience, which is a spiritual endurance, which means ultimately that you're patient with God, that as God works in your life, you don't jump ship on him. Sometimes God has to look at you and say the same things we say to people sometimes. Would you just be patient with me just a moment? Sometimes I feel like God has to say in our lives, Tom, would you just be patient with me? Tom, don't jump ship. Tom, don't quit. Tom, don't go back. I know it hurts. I know you don't understand. I know that it's stretching you, but I'm working, Tom. Please, Tom, be patient with me. I have found that whenever I'm patient with God and let him fulfill all that he wants to do, the only thing he does in our life is good. He works all things together for our good. So many of God's people miss out because they jump ship early. To patience, godliness. This is godlikeness. This doesn't mean that you become God, but it does mean that as God is in you, you become like God. What do you mean by that? Well, the longer that you're, as the Lord Jesus was in this world, so are we. So the longer I've known the Lord Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, the more I look like him, the more I sound like him, the more I smell like him, the more that I, I, I see like him, the more that I respond like him. As his life is working in me, his life is working through me. 
Listen, if you've been saved for some time, you ought to be more like Christ at this moment than you were when you first got saved. Right. Godlikeness. Verse number seven, we add to godliness, brotherly kindness. Now, we talked about that last week and so enjoyed that message. And many of you applied that message. I had one man call me and said, I'm done with brotherly kindness. I said, it's Monday. I mean, we just preached the message yesterday, brother. It's Monday. He said, I was on 95. Mm-hmm. He said, I ex- exercised brotherly kindness. I let them over. And as soon as they got over, they kicked the stone up. It broke my windshield. It hit my windshield and went down the side of my truck. I'm done with brotherly kindness. <laughs> I, I understand that. He repented and he's right with God today. And uh, so on. Number seven, please look. And a godly bro- godliness, brotherly kindness, and a brotherly kindness, would you say the word? charity. And today, even though we find last on the list charity, I submit to you, we, we have reached the main event. It's not least because it is mentioned last. It is the capstone. Many of you are NCAA Final Four basketball following people. I am myself. We are narrowed down now to two teams. Two teams out of 64 have made the national championship tomorrow night, and those two teams would be Kansas and the University of North Carolina. They began this tournament three weeks ago. They have played numerous games, and all of those victories they've had in the round of 64, the round of 32, the round of 16, the Elite Eight, now the Final Four, are precious victories, but the main event is the national championship. If you win the national championship, all of those victories you see um, come together in in a wonderful, fitting way. If you lose the national championship, they were good, but they they didn't find their finality in the capstone. This is how we are in spiritual growth. We can add all of these things, but if we don't add charity, we've missed the main event. The Bible here, Peter here, is commanding God's people to add to their Christian walk and their Christian life, Christian love or charity. The word in the Greek is agape. Agape is translated many times in the New Testament simply love. Here... It is translated charity. And I love the way in the English that it is translated charity because of what the word means. It carries with it the idea of volitional love. Okay, it's important. Now just stay with me a second. Volitional love. When you have a charitable moment in your life, you, you make a, a decision to be charitable. If you're forced to be charitable, it's not charity. It was you were forced or you were compelled, and it's not honest charity. If you were rewarded because of your act, then there is an agenda, and it's not a pure.
pure form of charity. Here in the book of, uh, here in Peter's list of things that we are to add to our faith, we are to add this word agape. We are to add this word love. We are to add this word charity. Now you might be thinking some things. I wrote some things on my paper. Pastor, if I'm forced to add love, doesn't that seem fake? I mean, if I'm forced to love something, it's not honest. If I'm commanded to love something, how can that be honest? It seems, Pastor, like if you're commanded to love, I mean, it's, it's a little bit insincere. It's interesting. I mean, really and truthfully, you just can't decide that you love something. You, you, you have to feel it. You have to have a moment where there's an, an inclination. I mean, I mean, nobody loves with their mind. You, you love with your heart. Okay, I would submit to you that God loves with both. And so should you. What we're talking about here is not human love. Human love is that which responds many times at the impulse from a feeling. Uh, you meet somebody, you have a feeling, you, ha you, get, you receive something, you have this, this um, immediate impulse of emotion that's interpreted as love. Sometimes human love runs along the line of natural inclination. We say things like, those people are easy to love, right? We're inclined to love a certain type of person. We're inclined to love a certain type of thing. And so much of our human love is based on either a natural feeling or inclination or something that is meritorious and that we want to respond in that love. That is not the love that God is talking about here or Peter is writing about here. The love that Peter is writing about here is agape love. It's a selfless love. It's a sacrificial love. And, and it is a love and truly that, that belongs and is only capable and comes from God himself. John writes about this. John said that God is Love. If you believe that God is love, say amen. Many people don't, right? So, so everything that God does is reflective of his nature and his character. He cannot do anything without it being motivated by love, right? So as far as different as this love is, Human love is based on inclination, it's based on feeling, and it's based on response. And really, it, it's based more on just a, a heart thing as opposed to a decision. God's love is volitional love. Th this is love that is a love that is choice. This is a love that is not based purely on feeling. It is not based on natural inclination. It is a love that is not based in response of what you and I have done. It's a love that is a love because God is love. 
Let me give you some proof text on that. For God so loved the world that he gave, right? The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 3 that there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that seeketh after God. There is none that understandeth God. In the book of Romans chapter 5, God talks about you and me in our sinfulness. We were in an enmity position against God. In my sin, I was against God. In my sinfulness, there was nothing lovely about me that could merit love. There was nothing naturally beautiful about me in my sin that would be an inclination of my love. But yet after that you read, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God doesn't love you because you're lovely. He loves you because he is love. And he has chosen to love us. Now think about this. In the book of Romans chapter 8, the Bible says that that love goes from start to finish, which means that there's no one or no thing that can ever separate me from the love of God. So even as a believer, when I'm unlovely to God or unkind to God or disobedient to God, that nothing separates. God continues because he is love and chooses to exercise that love irregardless of who we are or we would never be redeemed. Now he tells you, do the same. Huh. This love that we we're talking about has God for its primary objective. It expresses itself in implicit obedience to him. We're talking about a love that seeks the welfare of all. We're talking biblically about a love that works no ill to any man. Never a stab in the back. Never a manipulation. Never a set them up for a fall and for me to be exalted. Never does it choose me first. It seeks the opportunity to do good to all, especially them of the household of faith. Peter is telling you, add volitional love. Nothing to do with your heart except that it has been redeemed by God. This is a decision that you make to exercise love the way that God loves you. Pastor, that is impossible. It's impossible to the old man, but it is a beautiful reality to the new man. Well, Pastor, have you met people? Mm -hmm. Last on our list, but not least. Now watch this. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Hold your hand here. I've got a couple of scriptures for you that make this all come home. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. General Electric Power Company, if you need to remember those in order. Colossians chapter 3 is the whole passage on the new man. Verse number 10 talks about that we've been saved in the image, after the image of him that created us. No longer are we in the image of Adam. Alone, we've been brought into the image of Christ. Verse number 12 says, We are to put on therefore in this new man, 
uh, uh, holy and beloved bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. Verse 14. And above all these things put on what class? Charity. Now watch this. Which is the bond of perfectness. So we've been adding to our faith virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, wonderful. But what bonds all of that together in completeness and maturity in your life is charity, agape, love. Well, pastor, um, I'm not really much of a lover. What if I get five out of the seven? I mean, that's, that's like good. To quote Madison, dad in college, C's get degrees. Yeah, Tommy tried that. He's got to repeat a couple, so don't, don't, don't put all your faith in that. Okay, let me answer that question biblically and publicly. 1 Corinthians 13. Pastor, I'm adding one at a time. I've got five out of the seven. Uh, I don't know. I don't know about this adding charity, this volitional love, seeking the welfare of others, working no ill to anyone, doing good, seeking the opportunity to do good all, selfless, sacrificial. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I'm probably pretty good with five out of seven, right? First Corinthians 13, verse number one. Though I speak with the tongues of men and, have, and, and, and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove a mountain and have not charity, I am what, class? So Paul says if you got five out of the seven but you don't have charity, you're nothing. It gets better. No, it doesn't. It gets worse. Verse number three. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me what, class? Nothing. Paul says, when it comes to charity, it's the capstone of the Christian life. It's, it's what Bonds like a glue all of the other virtues in your life. And to be absolutely sure you understand, no matter what you have in your Christian life, if you haven't added charity to it, you have nothing. And you profited nothing. And in reality, we are nothing. Let me ask you a question. 
What do you use to judge yourself something? You say that again, I'll need a chair for this. What, what do you use to judge yourself something? You're sitting there. It's human inclination to feel good about yourself. It's human inclination to feel like we've accomplished something. Some people use success. Some people use financial freedom. Some people use the climbing of a ladder. Some people use the way their children turned out. Some people use what they perceive to be their own holiness. Some people perceive their own intellect. Somewhere, you have something in your mind that makes you sit there sometimes and think, I'm better than that guy. Matter of fact, I'm better than everybody in this crew. You have something that you judge yourself something over. Now, this is the problem in Christianity. Because Paul said, and the Bible says, if you don't have volitional love of God, you're nothing. This is to every dad that teaches his kid to work hard, but you don't love them. You've taught them nothing. This is to every husband that stayed married for 25 years, but you don't love Christ, your wife, the way Christ loved the church. It's nothing. This is why you can say you have a Christian home mom or lady. But if you don't have love, you have nothing. So let's take the time out here. Good time to breathe, right? Let's do a little test. Allie taught me this. 1 Corinthians 13, verse number 4, please. You see the word charity there at the beginning of verse number four? Substitute the word charity for your name. Let me substitute it not just for my name, but let me substitute it for my home. Since Allie taught it to me, if Allie wanted to judge whether her dad loved her or not, she would say, my dad suffers long with me. My dad is kind. My dad doesn't envy. He's not filled with pride. My dad doesn't puff himself up against me. My dad doesn't behave himself unseemly. My dad doesn't seek his own. He's not selfish. He doesn't belittle me. He doesn't explode on me. He's approachable. He's not easily provoked. He's safe. My dad doesn't think evil of me. My dad hears me out. My dad doesn't rejoice in sinfulness. My dad rejoices in the truth. My dad beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, and he endureth all things. Okay, you paid good money for the seat you're in. So let's make our application. 
put your name there. Tom, put your name there. Is that you? So you're seated by a spouse. If I ask your spouse, is that them? If I went and got your children from around the world, is that your dad? Is that your mom? If I went and got your boss, your employees, your coworkers, I don't know that guy. No, that's that guy. He's a believer. That ain't that guy. Hmm. Let me stop and say we're honestly looking at ourselves for spiritual growth. And I think one of the main things that God's people miss, miss out on on the capstone event for the bond of perfectness in our life is we don't add charity or volitional love. When I think about God and I want to think, describe him and worship him, I think about him for his love. You feel the presence of the Lord, don't you? 1 John chapter 4, can I show you a couple things? They're very important. I'm almost done. Not really, but it sounds good. 1 John chapter 4. I need you to understand that this type of love in your life and the addition of charity to you is evidence that you're saved. Verse number 10, please, of verse John 4. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. He sent his son to be the propitiation or substitute for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Now watch this. No man has seen God at any time. If we or since we love one another, God, what are those three words, please? Dwelleth in us. That's interesting. Look, if you would, at verse number 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth where class? In God. Now listen, we're not talking about human love that runs along the line of my inclination or the impulse of a feeling. We're talking about volitional love that is a decision to love people that are unlovely, to love people that do not deserve love as based on human understanding, but to love with the love of God, to love to that seeks their welfare, that seeks opportunity to do them good, that does not do any ill to them. We're talking about a selfless, sacrificial decision to exalt them and abase me. Verse number 20 is a tough one. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a what? Not only is a liar, 
Or how can he love God whom he hath not seen if he can't love his brother whom he hath seen? Okay. So let's just be real a second here. You hate somebody. You cannot say you love God and hate your brother. God himself says, you're a liar. What part are you lying about? You don't love God. Pastor, wait a minute. You don't understand what they did. Okay? Pastor didn't say this. God said it. Christian people hate within their own family, hate within their spiritual family. Come on, Pastor. I mean, I say I hate them. I don't really hate them. I just wish they were dead. (laughs) No. See, the bond of perfectness is volitional love. You call yourself a Christian or you say you love God and you hate your boss, your co-workers, your mother-in-law, your father-in-law, your sister-in-law, your brother-in-law, your neighbor, your friend, an aunt or an uncle or anybody on the planet. God says you got to be lying about the fact that you love me. Pastor, I just can't. Excuse me. The old man can't. But in Christ, the new man can do all things. See, see, the bond of perfectness. So I have Christian people that come to church, and you've got five out of seven, but you hate somebody. No. No. Well, Pastor, didn't even God hate Esau? Doesn't the Bible say, Jacob have I loved and, God, and Esau have I hated? Yeah, absolutely. Understand a couple things. First off, Jacob repre- rep- uh, represents the spirit-filled life. Esau represents the flesh. God always hates sinful flesh. Second thing you need to understand When God so loved Jacob because of Jacob's obedience, God blessed him to the fact that it looked like hate toward Esau. But if God hated Esau, then you better take John 3.16 out of the Bible because God died for Esau just like he died for you. So God didn't hate that person. He hated Esau in his flesh. He hated that flesh. God hates wickedness. But God loves the people of the world. Okay, then, Pastor, let me ask you a question. What in the stinking world am I supposed to do with all the pain and the anguish and the wound and everything they ever did to me for their whole life? They're just buried in my soul. Expecting just to walk away from that? Good question. I expect you, and the Bible would expect you, to take all of that and bury it in the grace of God. And then you are to exercise forgiveness volitionally. That's impossible. Oh, wait, time out. The Bible said, 
as Christ hath forgiven you as well. So God took all of your pain, all of your anguish, all of your animosity towards him, all of your sin, and he buried it in his grace, and he sent his son to pay for your sin, and he exercised volitionally his love towards you so you could stand forgiven, and if that's you, say amen. And he expects you to do the same. I can't carry all of that. No, right, exactly. So bury it in the grace of God. Pastor, you you just make it sound so simple. You just don't understand. Okay, one final thing about this, and I'll move on. Try doing a Bible study about what your sin did to the Lord. A couple things to take home for you. Ephesians 5, 2 says that love ought to be the walk or theme of your life. Ephesians 3.17 talks about how this, this volitional love keeps you rooted and grounded. And I'll close in 1 Peter chapter 4, please, if you'll make your way to that passage. 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse number 8. Thank you for turning in your scripture. I appreciate it. Peter writing, and above all things, have fervent, fervent charity among yourselves. Why? For charity shall cover, would you say the rest of that verse, please? A multitude of sins. Okay, so let's talk about this. As I add charity to my Christian life, it's the bond of perfection. It's the evidence that I have been saved. By this shall all men know that I'm a disciple of Christ. It's the bent or walk of my life. It keeps me rooted and grounded. And then I have on my paper written right here, it keeps me from killing everybody. (laughs) My dad taught me a powerful lesson one day. He said, Tommy, the day you learn to let people be people will be the day you live in peace. Man, my dad was wise, is wise. I got to say that again so you get it. Tommy, the day you let people be people will be the day you learn to live in peace. See, God's love covered my sin. He covered your sin, right? God's love made it possible for God to deal with me. God's love, volitionally in me, makes it possible to deal with people. People are just people. People are sinners. People do stupid things. And if I, if I get all excited every time somebody does something stupid against me, I never live in peace. I've got to learn how to just love people. I may have to position myself differently. I may have to maybe not be in their presence as much. There may be some type of separation there. But there can't develop hatred and I, and I can't let them be the reason of my, my misery. So believe it or not, sometimes people get mad at the pastor. Shocking. Shouldn't happen. And it just tears me up when this happens. And I used to go and I would sit and I would sulk. And Beverly would say, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. She, I won't tell you what she said after that. It was godly, but it was strong. And then I would go on social media, 
And I would see those people at Disney World having a great time, living their life, enjoying things. And I'm sitting over here wallowing in my misery. They ain't thinking about me. What am I doing? So I got up, began to exercise volitional love, and I didn't let their misery bother me. Concluding thought, you and I are commanded to add this love. Without it, we're nothing. The ability to do it evidence as we've been saved, it grounds us, roots us, the theme of our life. It brings peace to our life. It's the way you should be known. Good lesson. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we're looking honestly at our lives to grow. Peter has brought us to the main event. Yes, add all those things, but you better add love. It's the capstone. It's the main event. It's the power of God. It's how I know I'm redeemed. It should be the natural part of my life. God, many Christians have Christian lives without this. And the evidence of it is just that, incomplete. Help us here, Lord. Lord, there might be a Christian in this room. They hate somebody. Can't stand their name. Malicious toward them. The Bible would ask them, how, do you, how can you love God and hate your brother? You can't. Can't. They got to get that right with you. Pain, oh man. I know the story of people. Brutally painful. Brutally malicious. Brutally unfair. What do we do with all that anguish? The grace of God. And then forgiveness. But we are to love. 1 Corinthians 13 needs to be the characteristics of our lives. Our name should be there. Having said that, with heads bowed and eyes closed, Christian, where are you? Are you growing here? Do you need to add here? Do you need to confess some hatred today to the Lord? Get some things right with God. Cannot let that develop in your heart. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian today. You need the love of God in Christ. We'd love to take a Bible and show you how to be saved. Christian, maybe you need to come forward today at the step or the altar and formally add to your faith love, volitional love, the way that God loved you. You need it in your home, man. You need it in your life. Would you stand, please? Father, have your way and will now in these moments. I love the people. They've let me preach to them your word. Now the responsibility lies within all of our hearts, mine included. What will I do with what God has taught me? 
I trust that there will be a submissiveness in our spirit and that we would yield to the working that you would have for us to do. Let us leave here differently, I pray. If there be anybody here that is not saved, maybe they could come forward today and let's take a Bible and show them how to be saved. Maybe a Christian needs to come and deal business with you at the altar and add love, charity, get rid of hate, buried in the grace of God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.